Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. Um, and today we're going to talk about School Hard, mm-hmm. and I have tons to say about it. And we're also going to talk about Inca Mummy Girl. And uh, we brought in a special guest this week. <laughs> Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. <laughs> um, do you want to tell us who you are? Or does sure. Allie? I don't know. Well, okay, I could, uh, this is Allie here because... Oh, God, I don't know how... Yeah, you guys might sound the same. (laughs) I was a little worried about that. Um, So I think I've talked a little bit before on the podcast about watching with my sister when we first got into Buffy a little bit. Hopefully I've mentioned it before. Um, She has some (laughs) record to correct, apparently, about my faulty memory on that. We can get into that a little bit later. But my sister Claire is here today to join us. Um, Really good timing because she's super excited that we're talking today about the intro of a very important character. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's just here to kind of help us chat about these two episodes. We watched them last night. We did. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm excited to be here because I am not as big of a Buffy fan as Allie. I don't know if anybody can claim that title, but... (laughs) Me. (laughs) Jenny's trying real hard. All right, Jenny and Allie blew me away, but I did watch the show when it aired, and I have watched it all through when it first came in on Netflix, and I've been re-watching as part of my homework. Well, and, and it's kind of unfair because, like, you said you watched, like, all of season two already. Like, you get to blow through because I you're did. not, yeah. yeah. Also, I want to mention Claire is the number one fan of Once More with Commentary. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That is my claim to fame. Yes. I'll give uh, you that title. Yeah, and it's tomorrow's Monday. I'm very excited. I get to listen to a new episode. <laughs> yeah, we drop on Mondays. Just PSA on that, so. Yeah. Um. So that's why I'm here. I'm here to give my thoughts. And if I sound exactly like Allie, sorry, Sorry, you just have to tell us apart by our opinions. I was just going to say, we'll be able to tell you apart by your opinions on Spike. (laughs) So just start every every, every comment. Team Spike here. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm not Team Spike. Right, 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 right. Okay. Um, Okay, so I think what we should do a little differently this time before we get into the episodes Mm -hmm. is let's find out where Claire falls on the Buffy spectrum. Like... We'll give her, if I can remember all the questions that we tried to answer, but maybe first let's ask Claire, how did you get into Buffy? Because yeah. you would think it's a very similar story to mine, but apparently I told it wrong, so <laughs> let's correct it for the record. Well, I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit here, but the first way I got into Buffy is we used to get the TV guide. Oh, And oh. they would do the little episode synopses in mm-hmm. the weekly listings and I knew kind of what Buffy was and it seemed like a show I would like but we didn't get the channel we didn't get the WB Mm -hmm. so I would read the episode descriptions to sort of follow along with the show (laughs) right isn't that strange it's like three sentences I thought Angel was a girl for the longest time and then when I first watched the show I thought oh he's a vampire and it's a beat that's also, I want to say, how I watched the first season of Gilmore Girls. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we used to fight over the TV guide. It's sort of a... We were pop culture starved in our yeah. non-WB wasteland. <laughs> really embarrassing. But then I think Allie got it right. We used to get this channel. I want to say it was like NBC or something. something. I don't remember what it and was. And then in the afternoons, we would come home from school and we would watch Passions. Oh, okay. yeah. That was on NBC. She left that part out. Yeah, she did. I forgot about that part. I don't know why. It was true American classic. And then, and then after that, for an hour, they would air. I think the previous night's 
show on the WB. So it might be Monday was Dawson's Creek. Tuesday oh, was that's a, it's right. Buffy. I Wednesday thought, was yeah. um, like Charmed. Charmed. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. But I think the, you know, so you didn't get all of the shows. And yeah. I think that picked up. Uh, that was like season four of Buffy. No, season three. No, season four because we first watched season three over the summer. No, yep. my first no. Buffy, Buffy episode. <laughs> no. I'm gonna have to disagree with no. you. Because You're remembering <laughs> this incorrectly because this was 2000 Mm-mm. and they were airing season four. Mm-mm. Where did we live at the time? Virginia. Yeah, that was season four. Okay. Well, I will just say <laughs> that my memory is that my first episode of Buffy ever watched was the one where. I, am I allowed to say spoilers? Yeah. It was the one where Angel comes <laughs> yes, back Beauty from and the Beast. Uh, We've talked about this. This was over yeah. the summer, and we got into it, and they were running summer reruns of season three, and then we watched season four okay. while it aired. Well, I don't think we need to get that specific. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> <you> do. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah, move it along. A move long it time ago. But <laughs> that's how I got into Buffy. And mm-hmm. then sort of a similar thing. I got really into Angel. I probably okay. was more of an Angel fan. Mm, interesting. Un- until it totally jumped the shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we could all pinpoint when that happened, but <laughs> I don't know, Jenny. Did I, you watch, I did remember you watch sleeping through a lot of those se- yeah. episodes, so I actually don't know if I know. I really like the first two seasons, and then I feel like I don't remember the details of where the breaks are after that. Yeah, so that's my Buffy okay. story. Well, okay, so some yeah, so some of the other kind of questions are: Who's your favorite big bad? Okay, so this is, I have kind of a two-part answer for this, because okay. Allie and I had a mini-debate over this. Okay. Well, it wasn't, so we were trying to, de- we didn't know the answer. Yeah. We needed some input from you, Jenny, to kind of, you know, okay. decide as a group. So my... <laughs> decide as a group what Claire's favorite big bad is. Well, because my favorite big bad is my initial answer was Angelus. Okay. But then I said to Allie, does he count? Yeah, totally. Because he never had a... Big, I felt like there wasn't a true big bad until you get to the mayor. Oh, um, I disagree. I think Angel is hands down big bad of season okay. two. Okay, then he's my Again, favorite. major spoilers to everyone as we're <laughs> reviewing episode three. But, uh, but I yes. think the other part of that was, does Spike count as a big bad as well? Because no, he's kind because of he involved se- with that. He never has a season-long arc where he's yeah. the instigator. I think that's where we came out on the end. I said yeah. Spike never has a true master plan. No. Um, he has lots of little master plans. but Yes. No, but Angelus, Angelus was my favorite big bad just because he was a great match for Buffy. I yeah. thought he. Knew. I mean, that's a great answer. Yes, yeah. he's a good. He's he's my maybe. Eh, I don't know what Hootie's my second favorite, but I like him a lot. It's a tough one because she doesn't actually bring him down in a blaze of glory. So I, I mean, feel that like... does make it better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um. But I just like that one because it's just so heartbreaking, and yeah. um, it's just such a good end of season two story, I thought. Mm-hmm. Which one's your favorite monster? Oh, oh. yeah. So they like, don't have to be, like, a big bad, but, like, Monster of the Week or... Oh, I know the yeah. answer to this okay. one. It's the one when they're in college and they go to the haunted Halloween party. Mm. And, right? And you think that it's this horrible <laughs> monster and then he's two inches tall. Because the caption says actual size. Yeah. yeah. That I is just, a good one. I like uh, that one. The they zoom out and he's right? got, like, a little squeaky voice. Yeah, he comes out, I will destroy you. I forget his name, but he's, like, him. the fear demon. That's right, yeah. yeah. That's um, great. Okay, and okay. then do you have well, a favorite you, season? Yeah. I do. I think season three, obviously. Okay, it's good. Okay. But my favorite finale is season two. Okay. 
Makes sense. Yeah. I accept all those answers. <laughs> um, um, I think we have to get to the, the apparently controversial question. <laughs> okay, yeah. Claire, what team are you on? Okay, well, I'm on team Buffy. Excellent. That's yeah. what I'm on. You're, I, we're on the same team. I think okay. all of her boyfriends were wrong for so mm-hmm. many reasons, but I will give you my ranking. Okay. okay. If you want it. We'll and accept it, that it in lieu of a be controversial response. And I'm only counting the top, the main three guys. We're not counting mm-hmm. peripheral Scott for two episodes. Yeah. And the Owen? Oh, uh, yeah. You had to remind me who that was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we're talking Angel, Riley, and Spike. Mm-hmm. So that's actually my order. Angel, Riley, Spike. Okay. Oh. Riley, Spike. Oh. And I will tell you why. Wait, is this going from bottom to top or top to bottom? One through three. Hmm. Jenny, you ready to fight? No. <laughs> so Angel is my favorite Buffy boyfriend, not because I thought he was a good boyfriend. And I have to say, this comes with age. Mm-hmm. Because the other day I was watching the episode where Joyce tells Angel to break up with Buffy. And I was mm-hmm. like, you tell him, girl. Like, yeah. you're right. He is so yeah. wrong for her. But from a story perspective, Angel mm-hmm. was a great boyfriend because Buffy the Vampire Slayer falls in love with the vampire. It's, you know, star-crossed lovers. How could you not eat that up? Yeah. But when he left, I was trying to explain this to my husband, and he just left the room. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, because he asked me if they were breaking up because it was the spinoff or if I, if I thought it was the story. And I said I thought it was one of those strange times where both – Mm-hmm. Both work. Both work. Yeah. Because yeah. I felt like he had completed his arc on the show. It would have been strange for her to fo- him to follow her to college. Yeah, I agree. And and it was a good time for him to go off on his own. They had established enough of a character. Um, yeah, well, I mean, just, also at that point, yeah, it's established that they can never be happy together. Right. So, like, yeah. you have to stop. Yeah. Exactly. Even if you don't want to. Exactly. So I think he was a wildly inappropriate boyfriend, but from a story perspective, he's still my favorite. Riley gets number two because (laughs) if this were real life, Riley would have to be Buffy's boyfriend because he's human. Yeah. (laughs) So they could actually build a life together. He knows what's up. He can actually hold his own in a fight with a vampire Mm -hmm. and could understand the Slayer. I actually feel like... The first season where you get Buffy, he's a great character. I mean, Riley, he's a great Mm -hmm. character. The second season, I feel like they did a 180 on his character because they knew they were going to get rid of him. Yeah. So I think he gets sort of uh, the shaft in that case because a lot of the characterizations that happened with him right before he left didn't make any sense. And then he comes back, and again, he's the perfect guy. And yeah. mm-hmm. That's what I never understand is, like, when, from a writing perspective, when you've decided that you've fulfilled a character's mm-hmm. arc on the show, like, why is the only way to then believably get rid of them character assassination? Like, right. they tend to do that a lot on a lot of shows. I mean, like... I think this particular guy, Joss, we- is it Whedon or yeah. Whedon? Whedon? Oh, boy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can't. You're off the podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. Sorry, sorry. I always say Joss Whedon, and then you say Joss Whedon. I think it's, it's definitely Whedon. Whedon. Okay, I apologize to Joss Whedon. <laughs> we'll if send you're him out a note. there, if you're yeah. out there. So I feel like he is guilty of that a lot. He loses sight of what to do with a character, and then they turn into a caricature. Hmm. 
I'm medium with you on that being true for Riley or not, because I do think there's one or two choices that they make him do that I don't really believe, but I do ultimately believe the arc of Buffy didn't love him and she was always going to be kind of but sabotaging why not that relationship. Have it be that? Like, I mean, yeah. we don't I know, have to get I guess two into season five, but like, I mean, the very I specifics g- of like what they made Riley do is like, true. Why? But yeah. I guess I always take it as that anyway. Like, if I retold that story to someone, that's how I would, that's how I internalize it. Buffy's the one that doesn't love him, and that's the ultimate reason they break up. Yeah, that could be I, true. I do think that they've thrown in, they do throw in other things, and I do think it's to make it, like, easier to see, say goodbye to him, but I I feel like the core story is still there and still makes sense. I mean, like, was he a fan favorite? Like, what, who were they no. trying to soften the blow no. for? Yeah. Like, no. that's what I don't understand. That's a good point. But, yeah. Um, anyway, so, okay. Jenny, do you have any more? Well, like, I guess I just want to defend myself a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, we I can talk like about Spike. When everybody says that they're Team Buffy, I mean, obviously I'm Team Buffy. And truthfully, I don't think any of these guys are a great, realistic, long-term match for her. I guess I just think that out of those characters, I think Spike is the one who earns his position the most. So it's not really that I want him and Buffy to be together necessarily. I just think he gets the least fair treatment you know he gets Mm -hmm. treated like he's so much worse than angel but in on paper they have committed all the same crimes against all you know her friends and her like that's angel does all that stuff too so i think i i think that's more so my position is it's not i don't really care who she ends up with you know i just love spike i love him as a character and i think that he's more compelling than angel in a lot of ways because he has to try a lot harder to make himself good. Whereas for Angel, it's just a thing that he's saddled with. Angel doesn't have to try. Spike has to try to become a better person. And I do feel like, I mean, I don't read the comics for reasons, but I feel like if Spike had longer a longer run post-Soul in the show, I feel like he would have kind of earned a better spot. I like Spike. He's my favorite character. Mm-hmm. He is, but he's... I never bought the Buffy romance. Even watching the show, I would just constantly roll my eyes, and I didn't understand why they were trying to do it. It seemed... Because mm. I just kept saying, as soon as Spike gets the chance, he's going to be bad again. Well, that's what I mean, we were about true, before. Yeah. Is like, did Spike actually have to try to be good, or would he have actually tried to ever be good if he hadn't been accidentally implanted with a chip that made him not able to bite people? Like, yes, that that like in, like creates this whole character arc, but like, is that a choice that he made, or just like him trying to live with a new reality? I think it's I, definitely a choice. Yeah. But I, I think this think is a discussion for a later date. Yes, I feel like we should yes. get into school hard so but that we can definitely tell segues who Spike beautifully even is. into <laughs> segues beautifully yeah. into these episodes because. Hello, we're getting to know Spike. And I think I just have one thing to add because it does segue right into this episode. Is Spike's motivations on this show are always centered around a woman. Yes. Yeah. And that's the other reason why he bugs me. Mm. (laughs) But but also you could look at it as sort of flipping gender norms on on its ear because think of how many female characters who are only centered around a man. And like now we've got a male character who's like basically reacting or thinking about like it's like... But that's why I just don't like him as a boyfriend. Hmm. Buffy's boyfriend. He was, like, following her around like a little puppy dog. Okay, okay. Um, all right. Uh, all right. So, school hard. School hard. I think we should just get into it. Um, I'm gonna, I want to do the summary real quick. Okay, you know, absolutely. And then I've, I've, we've got, like, a whole page of notes on just Spike. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, this... this uh, episode opens up with Principal Snyder talking to this girl we've never seen named Sheila and Buffy who are 
the like school's troublemakers, at least according to the principal. Um, and as some totally, totally terribly conceived punishment, he decides that they have to organize the parent teacher conference at the school as, yeah, as a, as a punishment. And then also like as a threat of expulsion, if they don't do a good enough job, then he's going to kick them out of school for that and all of their previous infractions. Um, cause if you want to really have your parent teacher night go off without a hitch, like yeah, the you, two pr- troublemakers to plan it. Like that's also, only, like two, also only two people. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so Xander jinxes everything and says like, it's going to be fine as long as no, nothing terrible attacks us. So of course that's going to happen. Um, we get a uh, cool, you know, right after Xander says that we get this great scene of some mysterious vampire pulling into town and running over the school sign. Um, and then at the same time, the kind of existing vampire gang that was left behind by the master, they're kind of struggling with what, you know, they don't really have any direction. Um, they're still all following the anointed one, but they don't really have a goal in mind. So Spike shows up, offers to kill the Slayer, um, and then it also turns out that there's this night of St. Vigis coming up um, where somehow or another the vampires are going to have extra strength. And so he is coordinating his attack on Buffy around that night, but then decides, because he's Spike, he's just going to do it earlier because who cares about all of that ritual? Um So he attacks Buffy the night of the parent-teacher conference uh, while her mom is there, while some other teachers and students are there. Um, Of course, she leads the way and helps save most of the people. And um, with the help of her mom, she takes down Spike. I do like that Joyce basically is the one who ended up defeating Spike. Uh, Agreed. Also, I kind of want to be Team Joyce. Yeah. (laughs) I think going. (laughs) <laughs> I love Joyce. I love Joyce. Like Claire was saying about like getting older is like now all I relate to is the mom. I don't even have kids. I'm just like, you're right. Anyway. She's, she's trying so hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I mean, obviously this episode is significant because it introduces Spike and Drusilla, who I believe it's like pretty well known that they were not supposed to be long running characters, but they just were having some, the writers and Joss, I think were having so much fun with them that they decided to just keep them. Well, and their performances are like immediately up the level of this entire show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like from the immediately first immediately iconic. That, yeah. Yes. Like the first scene that you see Spike roll over the welcome exactly. to Sunnydale sign and yeah. <laughs> like walk out of the car. You're just like, okay, we're in for something more than just the monster of the week. Like, right. James Marster is like, my God. He just kills it, yeah. Well, that's why I love Spike, because it to me, this episode, it's not necessarily the best episode of the whole show, but mm-hmm. it, to me, represents a real shift in tone for the show. Yeah. And a shift in, um, I guess, cohesiveness, because Spike shows up... I don't count the master as a vampire. He was so cheesy, so Mm -hmm. over the top. It was season one has its problems, which I think you guys have well documented here. (laughs) But Spike shows up, and it's the first time you have a vampire who has actual motivations. Mm -hmm. Um, He seems like he's more than a two-dimensional character. When you add Drusilla, you're instantly humanizing him. Mm-hmm. Because he's got someone, everything he does is for Drusilla. They're never, they don't really, if I remember correctly, ever really explain what her deal is and why she's so um, weak. Yeah, I don't know if they really get yeah. into that. Um, they don't, well, they definitely do. Well, well she goes attacked by a mob, but like, what did they do to her? Yeah, I guess. Right. I don't okay. get why she can't heal like a normal vampire. Yeah. Um, right. But Drusilla is 
obviously batshit crazy right Mm -hmm. off the top. I mean, her dolls are so creepy. (laughs) And the way they show up, I also feel like, I don't know if this was intentional, but they clean out the remaining crap from season one. Yeah, Yeah, symbolically and literally, like... Like Spike hoists the anointed one up into the sunlight, and we I'm don't sorry. have to deal can with we, him anymore. I'm sorry. Can we call him the annoying one now? Since yes. that's how Spike coins him at the end of the episode. <laughs> but I think it's uh, great. Annoying you one know, from here on out. He's literally cleaning house of season one. Which yes. Is, yeah. Yeah. Totally. And they had spent all this time building up how this little kid was this powerful vampire, and Spike literally throws him in a cage, puts him in the sun, and okay, we're done. We're moving. <laughs> great. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. That is also. I will say Spike and Drusilla. Other than Darla and Angel, the only real vampire characters that we're allowed to see without their vampire face. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I think Although, is another subliminal signal that, like, they're important somehow. It's, it's true, but I think also uh, a thing that I thought was pretty notable is when Spike... So Spike's, like, literal introduction scene, right? He's in this, like, classic black car. He runs over the Sunnydale sign. He gets out in a leather trench coat and biker boots. Like, he looks really cool. He's smoking... Sorry, smoking's not cool, but it totally is in this scene. Um, and but he has his vamp face on when he shows up, which is yeah. like totally the opposite of Angel, right? Where like there's no ambiguity here. We know he's a vampire from the get go. Yes, and then I think it's really interesting. The first time you see him without it is when Drusilla yeah. walks into yeah. him, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and that's what I mean is she humanizes him. Yeah, she. You immediately know this guy's got some motivations beyond I want to suck the Slayer's blood and kill her. Yeah, well, see, he wants a, to kill her. I mean, yeah. like, this is also a. Fir- he's also like a really great way to like install this guy as a real threat to Buffy is to just right off the bat have him Explain. just casually mention that he's yeah. killed two Slayers. Right. Yes. That's interesting because I I didn't ever take his motivations to be purely about. Drew so I thought it was just as much about like first of all wreaking havoc because he loves like he clearly gets off on kind of causing chaos even among the mm-hmm. vampires right like it's not just that he throws Thor's Buffy's plans he throws the whole Saint Vitch's plan out the window because like he doesn't give a shit <laughs> well because he's not like a whatever yeah. religion or whatever thing these vampires are following Spike's like who cares like yeah. Claire was mentioning this is like the last instance that she could remember of like a vampire holiday coming up like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, and that's what I mean about this episode really sort of in that Cleaning sense wipes house, the yeah. slate clean with the vampires and starts to create a new mythology. Yeah, well, and like he like makes fun of people for referencing the crucifixion, but then he name drops Woodstock. Like he's clearly like, I'm modern and cool. Yes, <laughs> I was at Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> I watched my head and go back and forth. <laughs> uh, uh, I do also like that joke about the crucifixion, but also like... So some of the vampires are like, I was present at the crucifixion. And he's like, if everybody who says they were there would have been like Woodstock. But it's also like, what a weird thing, because like we never really encounter a vampire who's older than a couple hundred years. You know what I mean? Like, that's not even a believable, it's not even a believable lie. Right. Like, nobody thinks you were there. You dumb vampires. There's the one guy that comes way later. Right. He's so old. Yeah. Different shape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we never... Um, but even he, we don't know that he's like 3,000 years old, you know, yeah. he could be... Do we ever learn how old the Master was? I don't think so. I don't I mean, I, th- so. I understood him to have been extremely old, hence the bones, but like... But he was buried in the ground forever. He wasn't 60 even living. Years. 60 years. 60 yeah. years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I know he, on Angel, at one point they referenced he was definitely alive during like the 1500s, but how old he was before that I don't yeah. know they never I mean that's the point of, that's the problem with the master is like he's a cl- so underdeveloped villain mm-hmm. but um, back to our current favorite back villain, to but, our yeah. current favorite also I, guess, um, mm-hmm. I just want to mention quickly like 
you know, we're talking about introducing these two iconic characters. Drusilla, in her own right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it is amazing. I mean, like, she's so creepy. She is Very so creepy. creepy. And just out there. And you can tell she's loony bins, like, right, uh, you know, right from the start. But, like, oh God, why do I have to have more, more dolls on this show? Like, I know. <laughs> I've just recovered from Sid the dummy. And now yeah. I've got Drusilla's, like, blindfolded dolls. Like, come on. Mm. Miss Edith. Oh, no. <laughs> she didn't get to watch. Um, no, I love Drusilla. I, I think Drusilla. Drusilla to me is always sort of secondary. She comes with Spike. I know she had her own little arc on Angel, mm-hmm. but I never find her that compelling without Spike. But even on Angel, I feel like it's not, she's still not her own. She Then she's sort of paired with Darla. Yeah. So yeah. it's like she's. She kind of adds to everyone's story mm-hmm. a little bit, but, oh, she's great. Um, kind of just going, I mean, this will apply to both of them, I guess, but I think the other thing that's interesting about Spike and kind of setting him up in contrast to everything else that's happened is that he's so much smarter than all the other vampires, including the master, really, right? Like, mm-hmm. right away, he he doesn't just attack Buffy. He goes to, like, watch her at the bronze. He kind of wants to observe her. Then he sets a trap for her outside, again, so that, like, he's not trying to kill her in the alleyway behind the bronze, but he wants to watch her fight a vampire, and, like, he just, he totally knows what to do, and then... He's assessing her, essentially. He is, yeah, and, like... I think they don't get into this in this episode, but this could be me getting a little nerdy, but Spike is Angel's protege. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And that true. was Angel's MO. Well, they, they sort true. of mention they do mention that it. at yeah. the end, yeah. but, like, they don't really go into it that clearly, and we just have Xander going, what's a sire? Right. But, like, <laughs> yes, you're right. Like, he's learned the smart way to do this. Like, if you truly want to kill a slayer, you don't just jump into battle. You figure out what you're up against, and you don't kill two slayers by accident. Yeah. And like, I think it's, like, he's not even that disappointed at the end of the episode when he hasn't killed her immediately. He's just like, great, like... We've got work to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that could be, again, me reading into it, but I feel like he doesn't care that much. Like, he's not, yeah. And I do wonder how much of this was foreshadowing for what comes later in the mm-hmm. season, because mm-hmm. I think they must have known mm-hmm. that they were going to turn Angel. They definitely, yeah. They had to have, yeah. And I just knew. think the way Spike operates in dealing right. with Buffy is very similar to what Angel ends up doing later in the season, and then when you set up that relationship between them, it's really interesting. And that's why you say he's smarter. He's more interesting. He has more complex motivations. That's why mm-hmm. I love Spike as a character. Whenever he shows up, you know you're going to laugh. You know you're going to get frustrated. And you know yeah. it's not going to be an easy fight. Yeah. And he learned how to toy with his prey from the master. Which right. we don't know this yet. but And not, no, sorry, not the other master. The master of <laughs> the master manipulation. Of with but, yeah. I mean, because we don't yet know. I mean, we... You're slowly getting, like, I mean, even in the scene where Giles tells Xander to go get Angel is kind of a signal that, like, Angel is in this group now in some way, some bigger way than he was. Like, they go ask him for help. They mm-hmm. don't just wait for him to show up and offer it. And um, But yet they still don't know Angel. Like, Buffy's right. getting to know him sort of on the side, but, like, they don't know his past. They don't know his history. They they know he was this feared vampire, but they, they really don't know the details of, as to why. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's great about this season is, like, it's almost like maybe they came to the conclusion of, like, you know, turning Angel into the villain is the only way to get to know, like, the character of Angel. Yeah. But, like, Spike coming in is a great tool of, like, you're getting these hints of, like, what Angel's past must have been mm-hmm. before Angel turns evil. Like, he's still good and, like, it kind of, if you're paying attention, or maybe this is just on my fifth repeat viewing or whatever, <laughs> but, like, it makes this, the brain start firing of, like, 
huh, well, what kind of vampire was Angel when he was evil? Like, if this is who he used to run with, right? Right, you know? right. Um, um, sorry, I just want to also point out, though, how stupid the other vampires are. Because it's not just that Spike is, like... I, and I think that they're only doing this, honestly, to draw that comparison. Because, like, literally in the school scene at some point, one of the vampires is, like, struggling to break down a door. And Spike is like, there's literally a fire axe right next to you. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, and I, <laughs> you know I, I mean? point so out to Claire... Like, yeah. Sorry, continue, yeah. No, I just mean, like, what they were so bumbling before. I mean, it, it's a lot... He's such a better match for not just Buffy, but, like, the whole gang. You know, like, Willow is an expert hacker. Giles is smart and has tons of knowledge and books, you know? And it's like, Buffy is the best slayer that ever was. So, like, they need somebody who's better than these, like, bumbling than the annoying one, you know? Well, right, that's sort of what I mentioned to Claire, because I was like, are these all brand new vampires? Like, where is he pulling these people from? Like, They were from the anno- annoying ones gang. I'm really I guess, but, like, where do they come from? Like, because um, that one guy looks shocked that Spike killed that guy. Like, hmm. the look on his face when he's like, he kills him, he's just like, oh, he just did that. Like, it's like, yes, you're a vampire. You kill humans. Yeah. I think that <laughs> maybe that's because of their kind of weird ritual. Like, they could only do things if the master had told them, as opposed to it would do whatever you want. You know, the master repeatedly was uh, scolding them for attacking people that he hadn't uh, allowed. And I guess the annoying one is sort of following in that mold of Mm -hmm. leadership. Mm -hmm. So I I do like, though, how the whole thing at the school goes down. Like, it's a very much, like, diehard kind of situation. Totally. (laughs) Buffy's got to take them down one by one. (laughs) Go into the ceiling. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my God, I totally didn't notice that. I wonder if it was, like, an homage to It totally has to be. Yeah. Um, but you know, and then she's very concerned because her mother's one of the people that's in danger and, um, you know, and she has no idea what happened to Willow and Cordelia, although they're just basically there for comic relief. Mm -hmm. Um, excellent comic relief. Wonderful comic relief. I think this whole episode made me laugh a a ton. Well, and I think at the end, speaking of foreshadowing, you know, it's not very explicit, but you start to realize that the authorities in power are aware no. on some level mm-hmm. of what is going yes. on. And the obviously, yeah, and obviously <laughs> to keep order in the city, they've decided to not, like, shine a light too hard mm-hmm. on, like, this problem. And, like, it's easy to explain away as PCP, but, like, you start to wonder, like, well, how high up does this go? And right. as we learn You're, how yeah. high it goes next season, but, like, you You're know, referring the to the principal talking to the police chief at the end, yes, being like, yes. well, we can't tell them what's really going on. Yeah. Right. And then that kind of makes you, oh, like, this is not like Buffy and Giles are not the only two people in town who know that they're vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, and I don't even know, like, it seems like Snyder knows as well. Yeah. I was just going to say, kind of makes Snyder all the more sinister. Not that he's, yes. he's, you know, I don't want to say that he's sinister exactly, but like, he does, he has to know by this point that Buffy isn't just a regular school rule breaker. He totally yeah. knows that even in the first scene when it's like, you can see by the way she comports herself versus Sheila, right? That like Buffy isn't an honestly, like she's not a delinquent. She's someone who has yeah. a higher, a higher calling that causes her to like skip class. But we've talked about before, like Snyder doesn't care if you're disrupting course, his, yeah. his perceived order and like, you know, he just wants things to run smoothly, like, you know, students be damned. And so, like, for him, it's kind of like, even though she can clearly help with this problem, like, he just wants her out of the way. But right? I wonder, too, if a little bit of that is, like, it's not that he wants to keep the status quo. He doesn't like vampires either because they wreck things, but because he does seem to be part of this kind of, like, um, you know, city, like, people in power know that this is going on. I also feel like he probably resents her for like sticking her butt into these things, you know, thinking like, Hey, we don't want anything else getting revealed. And the more that you're around, the more you're putting our like plans at, at risk. So. 
I think he's just generally annoyed by Buffy, by the mm-hmm. vampires, by everything. Even by at life. the end when the vampires are attacking them, they're in that room and the guy gets pulled out the window. Mm-hmm. He just looks annoyed. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't even he's look not even scared. scared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I get, but it, then it's so bizarre because like, why wouldn't he let Buffy take charge? Because he is endangered. I guess he literally just cares so much more about order than even his own life. It's funny. Hmm. So do we think when Angel brings Xander into the school and oh, he's trying yeah. to trick Spike, do we think that Xander really thought Angel was turning on him? I, that or was a question think, that I had. I don't yeah, think, it's unclear if they talked about it ahead of time or not. I don't, I don't Well, they think clearly so. didn't discuss a plan, but, like, do you think at that point, like, I couldn't tell if it sounded like Xander was catching on to the plan. I agree, or, yeah. if, or if he was really just taking an opportunity to be like, I knew you weren't what you said you were, and... No. I think he doesn't know. black and white I, on these vampires, I think, so... I think Xander was... Didn't necessarily know um, Angel was going to offer up his neck to Spike, but the way he says it, undead liar guy... Yeah. It's just mm. not angry enough. If he really thought Angel was going to feed him to Spike, I think he'd use a better choice of words. I think that was meant to be a joke, kind of. Hmm. That's how I took it. Well, then the other part of that scene that was funny to me was, does Spike know that Angel's in Sunnydale? Because... He didn't. Like, he walks in, and Spike's just like, Angelus! But he's not like, what are you doing here? He's just, like, not at all surprised that he's there. Like, he's just like, hey, buddy, what's up? Not a long time no see. Like... You know. I think Spike That's knew just... that Angel wasn't bad. Well, they all did, I yeah. thought. Yeah. I thought they didn't know. Well, Darla get... knew. Right when he showed up? No, Darla had already known that Angel was, hmm. you know, cursed. But, I but at so that point, kind of she and Spike whole... weren't running together anymore, so... No, they weren't anymore, but I thought that... I mean, I think this is going back into, like, which show they kind of do these flashbacks on, and this might yeah. be more Angel stuff, but I thought that that happened when maybe Spike and Drew were gone at that point, but mm-hmm. I thought that um, they all kind of knew what had happened to him. Maybe he does, because honestly, otherwise, there's no... I don't understand how he would have picked up on Angel lying, because Angel's pretty yeah. convincing, you know? Yeah. I think otherwise, that sense, yeah, that scene doesn't really make sense, because I, I just honestly don't know how he would... how he could tell. I mean, mm. Spike claims it's because he knows Angel, but unless you have that suspicion that, like, he's... Mm-hmm. actually kind of tamed, then how does that work? Yeah. I don't know, but that was a very minor quibble in, like, the entire yeah. episode that is... I, okay, I do want to say the name of this episode, like, School Hard. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a Die Hard homage. Oh, oh duh! Oh, my, my God! God. <laughs> really, guys? Oh, we're so dumb. <laughs> I was just going to complain that it's very much, like, beer bad. That's, and what I always like, hear. That's how I read it, too. I always read it as beer bad. Oh, you were just going on and on about how it's very diehard. That like, literally just occurred to me that it was a diehard homage, and I didn't think anything about the name of the episode. That's great. Oh my god. Well, Duh. my presence is. You've done your bit. You can done. you can leave now. <laughs> I am just nodding along, like, yep, total diehard. Like, oh my god, that wow. Oh my god, ten years, and I. 20 years even. I didn't even know. You're welcome. Thanks, Claire. Uh, you want to tell us anything else we missed? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just was nodding along the yeah. whole time. You're talking about Die Hard. I was like, yeah. This girl yep. Buffy, is she like special or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, I feel uh. really stupid. Um, on that note, do we have any more uh, comments about Spike in these episodes? I, well, I guess I do want to touch on him calling Angel his sire because that's that's sort of a lie. I don't is know it? why they said it like that. I guess is my question because um, it turns out that Angel is not the one who created right. Spike. But he, I think what he, I think maybe the way they can get around continuity errors with that is right. maybe like a lineage thing. It is, um, yeah, because he's Drusilla's, as we learn sure. later, and Drusilla created Spike. But in this episode, Spike is claiming that it's Angel, and maybe they later changed that and decided that it was a more interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that was more into the whole um, Spike and Drusilla relationship when they want to explore that more. Like, mm-hmm. it makes more sense down the line if they can say that she created him. Like, it's kind of in a way that, like, you know, Angel killing Darla, Darla created Angel. Right. Um, which I don't know if we knew at that point that she I guess I just, that, I can't tell if it's a continuity error or if they're being intentionally deceitful. Deceiving, really. I mean, deceitful that's a really good a question <laughs> because... It's I, not I, entirely wrong, but it's not directly true. Like, he's more his grandsire. <laughs> I want him to say grandsire. <laughs> well, I thought that that was true, because now I, I can't remember. Apparently, mm-hmm. I thought that he made Spike for Drusilla. No, Drusilla is definitely no. his sire. Okay. Yeah. Then I would chalk it up to a continuity error. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, I have some final thoughts, but... Before we get to those, I do want to bring up one thing, and this is just a specific Allie uh, story, <laughs> is that for some reason, I was, like, on the floor laughing almost at the lemonade scene. Where So, like, part of this parent-teacher conference, right, like, Buffy's made lemonade, and she's, like, tells, <laughs> oh, says no, it to Willow, and Willow's like, oh, how much sugar did you add? And Buffy's like, sugar? Sugar? <laughs> um, therefore, she's made really awful lemonade, right? But I was, like, really, really laughing, and then I was like, oh, I know why I think this is so funny. It's because one time, Allie and I made a whole cake and forgot all the sugar. So it's not even, like, I'm, so, I'm right there with you, Buffy. Sometimes it happens. That was when we were, that's right, we were baking with, um... Justin and Carly no. and there were four of oh, us yeah. making a cake yeah, and right. we got to the end and we were like eating it and we were like it was kind of flat and we were like this is well, kind like of weird bread. and then I mean there were four of us making one cake and finally I, I was like did anyone put sugar in it oh. <laughs> <laughs> um and it was fine because it had carrots in it and like frosting and I think we decided in the end that it was actually pretty okay but like yeah. Jenny and I have also made cookies and forgot to like take half the butter out yeah, or like stuff. I mean, a lot just, of bad mistakes yeah yeah uh, so yeah, yeah I, sympath- sympathize I do with love Buffy how then Willow just uses the lemonade as like a weapon <laughs> Cordelia true. has the lemonade oh, for can some... we talk about Cordelia please I always I can always talk about Cordelia I, so I brought this up I think we're a, a big little fan bit. of Cordelia on okay this me too Mm-hmm. When they're making weapons yeah. in the library, I said to Allie, why is Cordelia there? Because I don't think they've established at this point, she's not with Xander, she's no. not, why is she there? Because she's I know part she of the game. knows what's up. Because she's someone they ask for help now, because she's in on the secret, mm-hmm. so, like, she's not going to whistle a happy tune while she's whittling steaks, but she'll begrudgingly do it, because she's experienced, I think, the need for, like, Buffy to have weapons, mm-hmm. but, yeah, no, I... She's very slowly being integrated into this club. It just seemed like at that point in the story, she's still sort of like you say, okay, all hands on deck, we need Cordelia, but I didn't necessarily 
get why she'd be in the library. Comic I, relief. I, I, I mean, yeah. I also <laughs> kind of think that it is world. It's. I think it's kind of setting that up that she ha- is slowly becoming more integrated into their group, yeah. where you don't necessarily have to see the scene where they ask her for help or explain some sort of backstory about why she's there. But it's just kind of. It's. I think it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying. It's not that weird to just see her there now because we've kind of seen her do it a few times. I think they're trying to make it seem more common. I think I just felt it was weird because... So I watched through the end of season three. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of thoughts on Cordelia. And I Mm -hmm. think going back to this episode, I sort of had a thought, hmm, why is she there? And then that sent me down this path of... I was saying to Allie, Cordelia, I think got to be on Angel as a sort of a makeup to the actress who played Cordelia because season two, she gets very built up and fleshed out. And then you get to season three and they just turn her back into a 2D character. And by the end, I think that might've been why I was wondering why she was in the library because by the end of season three, she's not even helping them make weapons. Yeah. Right. So... I don't know. Cordelia is okay. a weird character. I feel like she well, changes from episode to episode. Well, we talked a little bit, Claire and I were talking a little bit offline about Cordelia's arc and sort of she has like a regression, which is very annoying to watch because of the reasons for it, but um, that she does get more of her due on Angel than mm-hmm. Buffy, perhaps. But right now she's in the upward trajectory of this okay. arc. Yes. And um, and we could talk about that in later episodes. Yeah, because I, I don't really remember that. I feel like she's... Not necessarily consistent, but, like, has good reason to be angry with them later. Absolutely, but, like... I don't I know that I would consider that a regression, but well, I have to see it. her character suffers of, yeah, a little for I it. I have I to mean, watch it. Yeah, but um, right now, I think it makes sense that she's there. I did like her and Willow in the closet. <laughs> she's praying. praying. <laughs> please, please send I'll me an I'll never be mean. <laughs> Willow is hilarious. Allison um, Hannigan's face, though, when Cordelia's praying is just, like... Yeah, I also can't against the best. She's such a good actress compared to a lot of them. Um, um, so I have like just two, one, two quick takeaways, and then I feel like we should keep, okay. go, keep going. But um, I do, you know, at the end of the episode, Spike says Spike has made a comment about how oh, I've never seen a Slayer with friends and family. Like that's unusual. So I just think that that's you know we talk about that all the time. But like even mm-hmm. Spike knows. Um, and also what I really liked is at the very end, after Spike uh, hoists up the annoying one and kills him, he's like, we're going to have a lot less ritual and a lot more fun. Like, <laughs> he's kind of the vampire equivalent of Buffy, right? Like, he's eschewing all of these, like, weird traditional things because there's way better ways to be doing some of this. I also feel like that comment is very, almost a little meta on the totally, show. Like, yeah. that's, that's a message to the audience. Right, right. I agree. But you're right in that Spike is sort of Buffy's evil counterpart where Mm -hmm. he also has friends and family that he cares about. Mm -hmm. And at this point, they aren't so much an asset as a liability. Um, You know, he's got to make sure Drusilla is okay and taken care of. But it's true. Like, he's not, he's like, okay, you guys want to get the things done that you're aiming to do. Like, maybe we'd be a little less ritualistic about it and a little more Mm -hmm. actionable and, Mm -hmm. like, Part of that is like, what the hell is this annoying kid doing here? Exactly. Like, let's just kill him. Like he, like no, but seriously, the anno- the annoying one. Like, yeah. and I cannot not call him that now. Yeah. But like, <laughs> the fact that he's a child is supposed to be this switcheroo for Buffy that like yeah, doesn't really have that anything. much of an impact. But also, after the fact, what are you realistically going to do with a vampire child? Like, they're not as strong. They're not like, mm-hmm. what are they going to do? Like. You can't send them to school. That's like, why they shove them in a cage and throw them yeah. in the sun. No, but that's my point. Wash their hands. That's my, that's my point. Is like once he fulfills this 
prophecy yeah, like well role. Like, what character. the hell are you going to do with a vampire kid? Yeah. Also, I read online that the other reason they did that is because the kid got too old. So it like, oh, didn't make really? any sense. He was going to age he's, out. Like, of, aging? Yeah. yeah vampires yeah. aren't supposed to age, but he was aging. So he's sitting down in all of season two to make him look smaller, and then they had to get rid of him. Thank oh, God. Oh, because he was getting too tall. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, I just like that Spike showed up and says, okay... I'm going to be the actual vampire (laughs) around here, and goodbye to all you annoying season one vestiges. We're done. I totally agree. I do like, though, that, like, even the vampires before, you know, he sort of gets rid of a lot of, or I guess a lot of the henchmen die in the um, the attack on the school, but... I do love that they don't even know what to do with Spike and Drusilla. Mm-hmm. Like, like that they're a whole other level of vampire even for them. Like, mm-hmm. they're, you know, she's like licking his face or whatever. And they're all <laughs> a little bit like sickened by like they're like, who the hell are these people? Like, you know. And then he's like, we're moving in, and they're all like, well, okay. <laughs> but there's a power vacuum, and the annoying one is not really equipped to fill it. So. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah. Uh, but that's school hard, which we school know. hard. I feel like is the way to say it now. It's school one hard. of my top ten Buffy episodes. It I is a really say. great episode. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful introduction to a character that's going to be with us for a essentially while. the duration. So, yeah, um, I mean, he comes and goes, but well, actually, is he in season three at all? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, all right. So now, so do we want to talk about really bad museum security? <laughs> They're probably Actually, the worst. <laughs> Jenny, I'm I'm dying to know your thoughts on this Xander centric episode. Uh, yeah. Well, if one you guys want to tag team the summary or I'll, yeah, I'll so take we got a stab at it. Inca Mummy Girl, <laughs> and I'll let Claire do our recap for us because so, I want to find out if she stayed awake. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, I did watch this a couple weeks ago in preparation for my big podcast debut. <laughs> But the general gist of this episode is that there is a cultural exchange going on uh, because we have to set up the introduction of an Inca mummy girl. And all of the students, or a handful of students, Cordelia and Buffy are getting foreign exchange students. Mm -hmm. And um, the episode starts with Xander's very upset Buffy's getting a boy moving (laughs) in with her. So much to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I Gag. do agree with you, Jenny. By the way, Xander's the worst. Yeah, So Hey, I think that too. <laughs> so okay. to prepare for this cultural exchange, they're going to the museum. Of, I'm, I'm never clear on what museum this is. But no, some natural a, history museum. Yes. The okay. Sunnydale Museum? I don't mm-hmm. know. They have a lot of museums in this tiny town. Mm-hmm. They do, they do. So there's a Inca mummy display, and sort of strange, the sarcophagus is open, the mummy's there. Um, <clears throat> it's a little creepy. There, you get introduced to your random delinquent. I think at this mm-hmm. point it's clear that means that person's probably going to die. Right. <laughs> two in a row. We've got two delinquent yeah. students in a row that meet, you know, untimely ends. So basically mm-hmm. what happens Or is Sheila's still out there. Sorry. I just realized that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, anyway. So basically what happens is the rando delinquent wakes up the mummy. Um, she pretends to be the foreign exchange student mm-hmm. for Buffy. Xander falls in love with the mummy. Mm-hmm. Then they find out... I'm going to speed through this summary. Then they find out she's the mummy. They have to kill her. Mm-hmm. Buffy relates to her because mm-hmm. she didn't ask to be a mummy. She was sacrificed as some mm-hmm. sort of protection destiny for her people. Unfortunately, she's a thousand-year-old mummy, so they got to put her back. And um, this is another instance of Xander falling for the 
my God. Monster of the week. Well, now mm-hmm. this is Xander's demon lover number two. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, he does. And I do love that they throw in a praying mantis joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where you also get the introduction of Oz. Yay. Yes. So this is a good Ugh. episode. You get awesome. more of this setup for Willow's crush on Xander being unrequited. I did like that they... Going back to an episode you guys talked about where Willow and Buffy are never really competing for Xander, mm-hmm. it's sort of brought out in the open why in this episode, because Willow says, well, he has no chance with Buffy, so mm-hmm. how could I be jealous? Mm-hmm. But as soon as a girl starts showing interest in Xander, we see Willow getting a little bit jealous, so we set that up a little. But I think that this episode, if anything, sort of closes the book on that for Willow, for mm-hmm. now. You keep saying that. You keep yeah, disagreeing. She, no, she kind of comes to the conclusion that, like, she's she, not going to sit around waiting for Xander to yes, notice her anymore. But she literally says, I haven't made my choice yet. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, that is a great so, line. I kind of went off the rails on my summary there, That's but okay. Inca no, Mummy Girls shows up. Xander makes us all angry. Don't worry yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean... I do. Oh, also, Jonathan. Hello. Jonathan. Oh, my God. I got so excited when he showed up. Well, he's not named in this episode. No, but, but we know I mean, him. Is this the first time we see him, or was he in the pilot, like, quickly? I think he was in another one. Yeah. But yeah like, I might be misremembering yeah. that. I certain, we've certainly talked about him already. Yeah. So I actually, this is one of my least favorite episodes. Um, I don't love any of the ones that focus too hard on Xander. Mm. I do like especially the Zeppo, the Zeppo, well, I was just going to say, there is one mm-hmm. that's kind of funny, but I think Xander is especially Xanderish in this episode. He's mad that Buffy's going to have a boy in her house. Yeah. He's talking down to Buffy and Willow, as usual. He's, you know, bumbling well, like all over himself. acting so jealous about Buffy having this male foreign exchange student come to stay, and then as soon as it turns out it's a girl, he's, like, all over her in this, yeah. like... In this way that, like, she... I mean, he's cute about it and, like, you know, charming in a Xander way. And, yeah, like, yeah. She's Later a thousand years old it. and, like, doesn't under... He doesn't really know. But, like, it's also, like... It's so gross. Like, he goes from, like, chastising Buffy for daring to have a foreign exchange student in her house. That she didn't even want. That she didn't even want. And then he's, like, going on and on about, like, you know, the yeah. sleeping arrangements, blah, 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 and, like, all this. And then turns on a dime with no second thought. Yeah. Like, totally into... Like, it's yeah. just... Yeah. I mean, it's, like... I mean, this is the problem is, like, I have a hard time getting mad at Xander is, like, I feel like he's a really well-written 16-year-old boy, but, like, <laughs> right. that that's not necessarily a character that you like. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. they're not really likable creatures, but, like, yeah, it's right. very realistic. <laughs> I mean, you know, and poor Willow just kind of is, like, I mean, he has no thought for Willow. Like, he knows at this yeah. point that, like, or he must, but... He you know, must. Buffy already asks him, like, haven't you ever thought of Willow in a romantic way? And he's just flat out, like, no. That is my favorite scene, though, because then Willow comes in at the mm-hmm. end and <laughs> hears them, and then she, you know, she then she walks in, she doesn't run away, and yeah. then the best part about that scene is that she changes the subject and says, Rodney's missing, and then they just start joking, oh, I didn't see him on the bus, haha, maybe he woke up the mummy and the mummy ate him, and then they all just look at each other and think, oh god, that's what happened. Definitely what happened. Like, only in this town could your joke, make, like, you have to think twice about the joke you're making and go, well, maybe. It's totally true. But I do also think that I, I like, 
again, I do the thing that makes Willow so great though, then is that how, how mature she is because yes. right away she can kind of like not bury those feelings. Right. But she knows that there's something more important to discuss. And then I really do think in that scene where she tells Buffy like, Oh, now he just has someone else to obsess about. That's not me. Like that's such a good description of what's going on. And it's like really heartbreaking, but at the same time, like she's so honest about it, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I just like, I appreciate how she handles everything at least and I, up until a certain like- point. But, um, I like that they introduce Oz. Right. And and it's his conversation with his bandmate. Mm-hmm. And Devin. He's Another Devin. recurring character. <laughs> yes. And he's basically saying, I don't want just any girl. Mm-hmm. I want a special girl. Yeah. And yeah. you kind of start thinking, hmm. Well, and it's that he, like, Willow shows up in this Eskimo costume to the dance and everyone's making fun of her for her costume but she clearly put a lot of thought and time into it and like Oz is the only one that sees that because he's like damn this girl like really went all out and like did her and like he's like he's attracted to like her brain and he's like yeah Um, yeah that's a good point and again yeah again I think that they you know I feel like in season one sometimes it's a little bit like poor Willow poor Willow and even now it's like you feel so bad for her but at the same time like like we've kind of said before, like she has a lot of friends. Like she knew Rodney, you know, like she had no problem going up to him and being like, Hey buddy, like don't touch all this stuff in the museum. But like she, she, there are so many scenes where she is interacting with other people that like, she is a nerd and people do make fun of her. But at the same time, it's not like she's undesirable. People do, you know, yeah. she has friends and now someone who's interested in her. So. I don't yeah. Know. Um, I want to talk about, so the, the mummy a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of an interesting, like, thing to bring in like um we've got this old mummy that's like apparently cursed to like have to feed on people to um become human again like why is this even a thing that's happening like, that's a that, good that's question what I don't understand. Yeah. like in sacrificing this girl to the gods like why why, why is she how did that make her seal? like i don't yeah. that's and why was really she still alive explained. yeah and where yeah. did the bodyguard come from? That's my question, like, I too. Think, I assumed he travels around with her. Like, because she was saying she traveled around. Right. Like, that's how, that's the explanation for how she picked uh. up English. And, like, like clearly the conversation they're having above the mummy is how she knows to go to the bus depot and that right. Pata is the name of the boy. I mean, like, all of that's kind of sort of explained. And my assumption was that this bodyguard just kind of follows the exhibit around. And, like, oh. it's like a, maybe he's a chosen one who's born into a family. I think so, and they too. they have to, like, kind of, but it's never really explained why the mummy is cursed or any of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. I definitely um, thought he was ancient as well for a so while. Yeah, and then when I, I thought he woke up with the right. mummy. But it, then it's weird when she sucks his life out. And I was like, how yeah, do you suck yeah. out an ancient life? So maybe yeah. he's just been traveling yeah. with them. So also, yeah, I suspect he's like some descendant of some guard and has yeah. been traveling with the exhibit. I, I think it just kind of shows how much this monster of the week, they really weren't concerned with the details. No. It's more she's there to set up this the theme of, theme of being Xander the chosen one and making sacrifices. E- that and oh. also Xander's not going to want Will. You know, right, sets up right. that Willow Xander dynamic. Um, I just think, and it you know pr- continues the joke of if there's an evil woman around, <laughs> Xander's going to be attracted yeah. to Xander, and they'll be attracted yeah. to him often. Yeah, often, I, I did think it was funny that they have this uh, foreign exchange student from. I don't know if they ever said exactly what country he was supposed to be from. Cordelia, oh, Sven, no, um, Impata. And oh. then and then he shows up and it's a girl. But oh, yeah. the first thing they do is try to have her translate. Yeah, the I mummy know. Seal. That like, part what, was like, actually annoying to me. Is is Impata from like an? I thought they. Giles I thought they says, knew he was from Peru. Okay, I I wasn't clear what I'm, country it was supposed to be, but Giles says your region. Your region. That's true. The he country, is pretty, as if 
as if it's not made up of several distinct yeah. countries. Yeah, that, that did feel a little bit like, well, this guy's from South America. Let's have him have yeah, a go. Yeah, that was very, it. like, culturally inappropriate. You would not yeah. do that today. Um, also, though, just a bad shot because, like, just because someone is also from Peru, you could have them translate something in Spanish, not something in ancient pictograms. Like, yeah. that should have tipped them off right away. Oh, this girl can read this ancient text. Perhaps she is also ancient. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little strange. Yeah. And I just like, she's like, oh, this is very valuable. You should hide it. And then she's like, you should destroy it. And then, and then we were talking about the end of the episode. The seal is supposed to be the key to locking her up. Mm -hmm. And Allie and I were talking about this last night. When the mummy is actually taken care of and dies, it's really not clear how it happens because the seal gets broken, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and then what happens? She just, it seems like she just doesn't get the life force yeah. she needs, so she just that withers away. Yeah. But, like, then why do you need a bodyguard to follow the exhibit around, just tear the mummy apart, like, yeah. while she's, well, you know... Well, no, I think that... Well, I think, yeah, that's... I don't know why really they needed weird. her to live. That's a good question. Um, but I guess I would say, yes, breaking the seal allowed her to get out, to, like, not be trapped. But mm-hmm. she definitely died because she didn't feed soon enough. She did... Okay. That, just the seal alone wasn't enough to keep her alive. She had to keep killing people. Okay. So I think that she Wait. kind of hesitates. I guess this is another question. I'm honestly not sure. At the end, Xander offers himself instead of Willow, right? And she's like, he's like, if you can do it. And she's like, I can. And then I'm not sure if she hesitates or if she honestly just ran out of time. I think she probably hesitated a little bit. I don't know. it does seem like she genuinely likes him. You know, and their little flirtation is kind of cute. It is. But it was nice to see that even though Xander is not interested in Willow romantically, right. he will choose her first. Over. I agree. I do think he got a little bit yeah. of redemption there. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the bodyguard because yeah. that actor is like the go-to like Inca, Native American, like whatever you know you want to yeah, be portraying with like whatever. But that am I wrong? Is that that's the Pawnee? Chief? No, it's not. Yeah. It's I not. Looked him up. Oh, no. I thought it was. His, but he's in Twilight and he's in Kimmy Schmidt. He's the dad in Kimmy Schmidt. He was also one of the Texas Rangers in Hell or High Water. Yeah, he's I in a ton of stuff. it on the airplane. Yeah, Joe Birmingham. I had to look up his name because I didn't know it, but um, he's got a ton of acting credits. Yeah. sworn he was the guy from... No, it's totally someone different. Do they look the same? A little bit. Okay, I could They're like the same like, age range, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, okay. I, this I was, also, but I looked it up. It's not him. This was definitely one of those filler episodes, though, that I no longer have the patience for. Mm. I guess I, I don't hate it, but it's not, yeah, it's not my favorite. I do like well, the parallel that they draw between her and Buffy. I guess I do like that it, you know, they're rarely, I think now are going to be, even with the monsters of the week, they're not going to be so flat. Like I think right. often they'll have a complicated backstory, right? Like she did unfairly get sacrificed and understandably feels like she got cheated out of a life, you know, because she was a teenager when this thing happened to her. So but I think more I think more important than that is that they're just trying to set up that these are the same conflicts that Buffy faces. Right. Like, right. I have to do this thing. I've been chosen. It was all the same language. I mean, a little bit like heavy handed, but. I like I do like that theme to kind of tying them together and that at the very end right like Xander points out well like you guys have the same problems but you clearly are willing to make that sacrifice when she wasn't because you already died once right right yeah I mean overall it's not the worst episode for Mm -hmm. monster of the week we get Oz we get Oz and Devin yeah and Uh, Jonathan and Jonathan also can we talk about the mummy's um killer cut crease 
her makeup <laughs> at the dance. Allie made a comment about that when she sucked the life out of the bodyguard and she comes out with like a full face of makeup yeah. on. It's <laughs> like, that's all I have to do to put makeup on in the morning. All right, that's easier. Mm-hmm. We did talk about a little bit about how the makeup and the fashions are starting to come yeah. full circle. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There was one outfit Buffy was wearing where I thought, I could totally wear that down the street and <laughs> nobody would bat an yeah. eye. I do think the fashion is better this season. Like, Buffy, you know, they make this reference that she went shopping with her dad and, mm-hmm. like, she clearly picked up some good stuff. Like, in the first episode, <laughs> I was really into a lot of her outfits. I, like, wore an outfit the other day and I was like, well, this looks like an outfit Buffy wore yeah. in the season two first episode. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Um, but yeah, this is like, you know, it's, I think it's, this is kind of a pattern, right? Is like you sort of alternate between like vampire and like the vampire monster of the week stories usually have more to do with the ongoing arc. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, um, your monster of the week. And it's very telling that Angel's not really in this episode right. either. So, yeah. um, obviously when it's not really vampire related, we take most vampires out of the equation mm-hmm. most of the time. I think um, he's going to be in the rest of the episodes though. That's based yeah, he's on very, He's not, um, you know as integrated like he and Buffy aren't really dating yet mm-hmm. like it's a kind of a whole a whole like hesitation thing but yeah so yeah but I think we're off to a better start this season than we were because definitely um, let's see episode 104 was uh, teacher's pet so but that's <laughs> oh, interesting that's a nice the parallel. fourth episode that uh, Xander's gonna fall for a demon <laughs> yeah. so I wonder what uh, episode 4 in season that's what I was just wondering hmm. Beauty and the Beasts that's the one so oh. No, no demon loves for for Xander. No, that's not for Xander. Yeah, oh, that is a great. It's episode. a very Oz and Willow episode, I think. But and Buffy, mm. yeah. But we can talk about that when we get to season three. Um, yeah. So, any more final thoughts on uh, Inca Mummy Girl? I think just that, even though I think we can all agree this is kind of like a throwaway episode, or at least mostly forgettable. Um, not quite forgettable, but I actually I actually name drop it constantly in the rest of the show. <laughs> um, but I think both of these, uh, the joke to, like, action ratio is, like, way up, right? Like, season two is just a lot funnier. So I feel like even when these episodes are kind of like, well, this episode plot isn't the best thing that I've ever watched, I still feel like both of the episodes made me laugh a lot. I agree. I think these are the episodes where the show really starts to pick up mm-hmm. and get into its groove. Right. Um, like, from, a, you know, just a tonal perspective, characterizations start to get more consistent. Yeah. Um, the like you said, the monsters even start to get a little bit more complex and interesting. Mm-hmm. I I definitely it's funny because I started watching when Allie talked about the podcast. I watched maybe two episodes in season one. I watched <laughs> a, the back half of season two, mm-hmm. but I did watch these two episodes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then season three, I watched almost every episode. Yeah. So I think that that just tells you the quality of the storytelling mm-hmm. just consistently gets better and better and better. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if you want to hear this, but I am not one of those people that think the show should have gone beyond season five. So I think that this starts to represent the peak of Buffy. Yeah. We're starting to get to the top of the bell curve. But yeah. And then we're going to start to go down the other side. Hold yourself a little, though, because had it not gone beyond season five, we wouldn't have the musical episode. Yeah. I actually am in the minority. I hate that episode. <gasps> oh, my God. I've Goodbye. never heard anyone say that. <laughs> I hate Dawn, and any episode uh, where Dawn is causing trouble, I just think she's so freaking annoying. But who cares that Dawn started it? It's or And it wasn't even her, it was Xander, but who cares? That episode is amazing. Let's I just thought it was Dawn. I don't want to fight. Mm. I don't want to fight. Oh, yeah, now my fave. 
Uh, I don't generally enjoy musical episodes. Mm. We just saw a musical the other day. Yeah, that was a musical. <laughs> Not a musical episode. I'll give you that. Okay. Okay, well, uh, Speaking next... of musicals that oh. we saw the other day, we'll get into our... Well, well, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. well let's... first let's talk about which episodes we're going to do... Next. Next time, yeah. so... Reptile I Boy and Halloween. Re- I'm kind of realizing there's a pattern here. Season, yeah. like, episode five of these seasons, I... Reptile Boy, Boy is one I have very little... I literally of. always think it's the swimming episode. And then I was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then I remember. Yeah. And I remember what it is now. It's not a terrible episode, but again, not super important. Oh, and then you're doing Halloween. Halloween. Halloween, Halloween is great. Which brings us a wonderful character that who... One of my favorites. He's, I think he's only in like two or like three or f- maybe four, maybe probably he's probably just three in four, or four episodes. Yeah. But oh, we get an introduction to Ethan, so that's exciting. Yeah, I do like that episode. I do. I love Halloween. That's a good one. Um, yeah. So those will be those on will deck be for next week. Mm-hmm. Um, probably just me and Jenny. Claire's mm-hmm. headed back to Boston. So um, yeah, but uh, we mentioned a musical. So do we want to get into our? Yeah. culture wrecks for this week yeah I think so um, what do you guys I, recommend well, <laughs> well I was thinking about it and I was like this is so not a new one at this point but it doesn't matter so Claire and I saw Hamilton the other night and Yay. I don't want to tell anyone to go buy a ticket for Hamilton because they're expensive but go I buy a ticket <laughs> <laughs> but at least listen to it because, you should listen to it you can listen uh, to it for free on Spotify like it's so good. Or you could buy and it. It's not that. I recommend if you have the means to go see the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it adds so much to see the staging. Because I was a little bit worried. Like, I've obviously listened so many times to the soundtrack and the recordings. and But, like, I... It's funnier when you see the stage, mm-hmm. the staging of it. Like the comedy is like very physical, and like you can kind of see how characters are interacting. Um, Claire and I were talking about how sometimes there are a couple songs like you don't even realize which characters are singing, and then to find out that you're wrong, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, the, I didn't realize like Aaron Burr was in this song with instead of Madison, or you know, it's just like interesting yeah. stuff like that, and kind of just seeing how it's depicted visually. Um, yeah, it's kind of a whole new experience, and it was fantastic. We saw the San Francisco staging mm-hmm. here, and, um, and I the vocals ask, are oh. a little better on the live show. Say that again? In some cases. Oh, the vocals. Well, oh, okay, interesting. So like, okay, I mean, you guys are seeing it with a totally new cast, so. Right, but, but you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda's not, like, the best singer, no, but, not. like, he's he's good, but the Hamilton here, I, forget, I don't know his name, but excellent. his voice is amazing, yeah. and so that kind of brought a lot to it. We were talking about the, and I don't know his name, the I guy wanna... who was Jefferson and Lafayette. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, he, I think, did, was not a great Lafayette, and, like, was no David Diggs, certainly, on Guns and Ships, mm-hmm. but... He was an amazing Jefferson. Very okay, good. very good. As That's Jefferson. cool. Did yeah. how did you like Lawrence? Because he was the one when I saw it that I thought like I mean, and granted, I saw it with the guy who's on the cast recording, and mm-hmm. like in the cast recording, he totally fades into the background. But in the stage performance, he was like one of my favorite people. I thought he was so charming, and he was really funny, and he sounded really good. He I'm sounded curious. good. I. <sighs> I didn't love his portrayal of the son when he was, like, mm. little, but because that's just, like, trying awkward. to make a grown man act like a child, yeah. which is, you know, kind of funny. But um, I thought he was good. You know, he's obviously, that's, and like, one thing about the stage performance, mm-hmm. like, because he's only in the background in a few songs, and you, because his, like, big death scene isn't um, 
it's not sung, so it doesn't show up in the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and it's just a minor scene, but he's definitely a larger character yeah. in the stage. As Lawrence, program. you mean. Not yeah, as, as Lawrence, yeah. 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 Um, no, he was good, though. He yeah. was fine. Um, Aaron Burr was amazing. He was good. Also King George. King George was funnier than I expected. Yeah. So King George was, I think the, it wasn't, I think the understudy was doing King George because mm-hmm. it's it was like this performance King George is yeah. done by, and I forget his name, but he, he was pretty funny. I, but that was another thing where like, I didn't realize he was in the scene of the Reynolds pamphlet. So mm-hmm. watching him like cavort around Dance the stage around. and they're yeah. like, I mean, that oh, was great. Yeah. So, and, and you know, and I think there were some things like I was telling Claire, surprisingly, I felt like because it's there's like almost no spoken like mm-hmm. interactions on this it's all songs it felt a little rushed watching the staging because mm-hmm. they go from one to the other into the other and tonally it's a bit of a shift mm-hmm. but not enough to be like this is horrible and not worth seeing it's just and it's still long. Feel it's that really way at long. all it is long um, I was assuring some woman in the bathroom before the show started that there was an intermission and then the <laughs> act break wasn't where I was remembering it would be. And then I kind of had this moment of, oh, my God, I hope there's an yeah. intermission. <laughs> did you guys cry at the end? I did. Allie I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. I, I cried during It's Quiet Uptown yeah. and then in the last I, song. I yeah. didn't only because it was, to me. Well, It's Quiet that Uptown was, was my a little bit. one criticism. Yeah. It was overacted. Mm. Yeah. Um, that... Just Angelica or Eliza it. or all of them? Uh, Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. He was like choking out the song, mm-hmm. and that really just—it was a little distracting. It was distracting. Mm. But I—I I didn't expect to cry because I mean, none of it was like surprising anymore. But yeah. it still was very well People done. People were crying. People, <laughs> oh yeah, you could hear all the sniffles, and everyone's like touching their face. I'm a and, crier, like, though. Yeah. You know when um, I went to see it, I um had recently burned my leg really badly cooking. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is that I did not have any tissues with me, but I had packed gauze because I wasn't sure if I was going to have to change out my gauze. So at the end, I was crying and I had to, like, use that. <laughs> to be fair, I, was like, I think well, I might I have <laughs> cried a little more, but I was very distracted because here at the theater, they give you, if you want to take your drink into the theater, mm-hmm. they give you this, like, tumbler yeah. thing. Yeah, that yeah, you, yeah, have yeah. To, you get a sippy cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But mine was leaking, and I had red wine. Oh, no. And so, fortunately, I wore all black, yeah. so yeah. it wasn't... But, you know, I was wearing, like, a silk shirt that I now have to, like, dry clean, but, like, mm-hmm. I was very much like, where the hell is this wine coming from? <laughs> like, why is this all over my hand and, like, falling... Like, And so I came to the conclusion that my cup was just effective. Yeah. yeah. So that was very distracting. I was like, there's emotion happening on stage, and I'm worried <laughs> that I'm drowning myself in red wine. You're literally the second person in the last 10 hours, 12 hours, that told me about a defective sippy cup at a theater spilling red wine on them i guess less than don't order red wine yeah i think i literally was like i guess white wine only from now on yeah that was very distracting though but yeah overall it was it was very very good yeah yeah i'm excited um so claire do you have a a separate recommendation a separate recommendation that you want to do sure this is kind of mine too but i'm making her do it because i Maybe I'm the only one who's going to laugh at this, but I love her impression of this character. <laughs> Your impression of Drusilla was very good, so I think this might be a thing you're good at. <laughs> Do you want me to intro it? If you oh, no, know I can intro it. it. So, Jenny, I don't know if you've seen the promos for this show called Downward Dog. I have. And now by the time this airs, I don't know, it could be canceled. Who knows? But <laughs> <laughs> we've been watching the show. My husband and I have been watching the show. 
and I Allie watched a few episodes, and it's really, really cute. You expect you would hate it, because the premise is stupid. The premise is ridiculous. What is it? It's, it's about a talking dog. Okay. Um, but the beauty okay. of it is that the dog does not talk to anyone except the camera. But is it so, a sitcom, or is it a... It's, it, it's kind it's of a comedy. Like a okay. dramedy, I guess. Okay. Maybe. The main character is this woman named Nan, and she's from... Fargo, I think, although I admit I did not watch You mean that. the actress? Yeah, the actress. Yeah, it's like, um, oh, I forget her name. Anyway, she's good, and she is sort of a mess. She's going through a breakup. She's trying to break through at work, and mm-hmm. she works for an ad agency. Her boss is a total jerk, and she has this dog, Martin. And so you kind of start off the show where Martin is, you know, complaining because Nan is kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. And as he says, you know, it's not like... I mean, Nan's great, and Nan's clearly, you know, got a lot going on, but, like, it's like she forgets that I want to do things, too, and (laughs) I I just really think that, you know, she throws me out in the yard and acts like that's quality time, and I just think that I need to teach her a lesson, and so he goes around eating her shoes, and it's essentially, she's not paying attention to her dog, and And you're getting the internal monologue. Mm. Can you do the one about the, in the beginning? Oh, yeah, so... There's a, the other episode is like he's talking about like their history of their relationship. Yeah, I guess. yeah. so it's really cute because the whole idea is this dog is obsessed with his owner. In yeah. fact, in one episode he says, you know, I'm like totally obsessed with her. But still, um, so he talks like a millennial. He sounds like Mike Perfiglia, <laughs> yeah. I think, and yeah. which is I think one of the things that sort of saves the show. Yeah, but there's a great opening of I think it's the second episode or the third episode, and he says. So, in the beginning, there was Nan, and Nan made everything, and then she looked around and realized that it was kind of lonely, and just (laughs) lacking total amazingness, so then she made me, and so the whole episode is about this dog is thinking he's Mm all-powerful, yeah. Um, and so it's it's just really funny well, because... Well, because she installs, like, a doggy door yeah. that is, like, his collar has a magnet on it that, like, automatically opens the doggy door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, I mean, like... I kind of always knew that I had all this power, but, like, now I'm just, like, afraid that, like, I just need to be careful, like, about how yeah. I use it. <laughs> so it's it's a great show in that they... The internal monologue of the dog is you sort of wonder, is this what it would be like from a dog's perspective? Mm-hmm. You know, things just show up one day, and the dog is thinking, hmm, where'd that come from? But it from? only works because, like, the dog is really funny, but also, like, the thoughts that he's having, you're like, oh, this is really funny, but also, like, probably this is what a dog would be thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, from their perspective. But he doesn't talk, like, the, he doesn't talk to any of the characters. He doesn't, he's a dog to them. So that's that's what saves it, I think, is that it, it is a straight show, and then you get these asides from the dog. Where do so you I watch it? Really, it's on ABC. Okay. And I would really recommend it, and the dog is really cute, and I love that they went and got a rescue dog for this show. Oh, that is cute. So they went and found this dog in a shelter and trained him to be an actor and now he's got a great life and I think his name is Ned in real life but That's anyway it's cute. cute it's probably not going to make it it's probably going to get canceled it's a little probably I mean they're burning specific. it they're burning it off during the summer so that's not like a great sign but like I for like a diverting amusement of a few episodes I was like telling Claire yesterday I was like I should not like this show like it should be awful but like it's unfortunately or surprisingly like extremely funny <laughs> 
Mostly I just like hearing Claire do the impression of the dog. <laughs> so, Jenny, do you have anything to recommend? I do. I have, um, I'm going to go with the one that segues from uh, the previous conversation. I just uh, went to go see uh, Feist last night with one of my oh. friends. And that was why we were drinking wine. It was at a theater, so we were drinking wine out of sippy cups also. Um, and she, my friend is the one who was like, one time I, like she was telling me about a time that red wine was leaking all over her. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, we saw her at this venue called Town Hall, which was like really beautiful, although I had some issues with kind of the sound. But, um, but the performance was great. I have seen her before, and um, like I've loved her since college. And um, although I kind of like took a break from her for a while, but she just had an album come out called Pleasure, and I've been listening to it in preparation of going to the show. And like, it's really beautiful. It's exactly, it's not exactly what you would expect, but like over the years, she's kind of, you know, her musical styling has changed, but her voice is still the beautiful like songbird voice that it always was. And I just, she's just a great performer. She's like really professional. She's really engaged and um, yeah, it was a great time. I recommend listening to the new album if you have not. It's called Pleasure and Feist is the I've artist again. I've heard, um, I've read some good critical reviews of that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like Feist is back. Mm-hmm. So. I definitely like where she's been going on the last like two albums. Although honestly, the last album that she put out, I just, at the time, wasn't like wasn't in a place where it was something I wanted to listen to and so I feel a little bit like I've skipped an important like bridge from where she used to be to where she is now but it's still like it's it's easy to listen to and it's like yeah it's beautiful it's soft but it's also like pretty hard rock in places it's a good time cool we have a lot of music recommendations mm-hmm. now this particular episode We've been very TV specific. It's probably good. We can let people know we don't only watch TV. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I've been watching more TV just to get caught up to speed on Buffy. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, All right, well. uh, yeah, next week, um, Reptile Boy and Halloween mm-hmm. and just me and Ginny again. Mm-hmm. But and thank you for guesting, Claire. Yes. I think this was no, great. Thank you so much yeah. for doing this. I may have bribed her with pastries, but... <laughs> I don't think I had to try too hard. I mean, it helps that she enjoys our podcast, so, yeah. you know, she's, she wants to be in on it. Thank too. you for There's supporting us. spike opinions. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe when we have in the future, if we have another spike-heavy show, we'll invite you to call mm-hmm. in from Boston, and you can let us know what your opinions are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, cool. So, uh, until then, yeah. I guess. Uh, I mean, definitely this week I'm Team Spike. <laughs> I, this is such a hard question for me this week. I don't know. Like, I... Uh, I give up. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? Jo- be I Team like, Joyce. She kicks Spike's ass at the end. I, I could be Team Joyce. I suppose that's true. Mm. Yeah. My options are so limited sometimes. <laughs> or Team yeah. Willow. They're not limited at all. Everyone's just great. Yeah. What was that? What was that one? Team Angel with a butt? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're quoting I'm, our own podcast on our podcast yes, now. <laughs> I am. How meta of me. I'm, I'm going to be Team Empata okay. just because he got murdered by a mummy and nobody cared. Yeah. That's oh, true. you mean the real yeah. one? Yeah. 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 Right. I was wondering one. what they did with his body. It was in the trunk. So, oh, you mean what they yeah. did with it after that? But yeah. But, <laughs> I don't know. So I'm Team Empata. We're going out for Empata. <laughs> All right. Okay. Talk to you later, Jenny. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie, and me, Jenny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. 
You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.